Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and we have another fabulous guest, and this guest is going to be coming to us. She is coming to us from Israel. As a marketing executive, Dahlia Feldheim led some of the world's most iconic advertising campaigns for Procter & Gamble, including Always Like a Girl. And in 2014, it was, winner, was the winner of 14 Cannes Awards and Forbes 2020, 10 Most Influential Campaigns of the Century. A citizen of Israel, she began her career as a platoon commander in the Israeli Defense Forces, an apt preparation for intense leadership roles. After 21 years in the corporate world, Dahlia has pivoted her career back to her roots in psychology with a mission to help organizations find purpose and joy at work. Today, Dahlia is the author of Dare to Lead Like a Girl, as well as an adjunct professor at the Singapore Management University, where she teaches the science of happiness. Dahlia is also an organizational psychologist running heart-centered leadership development programs for some of the world's largest tech companies, and she is co-founder in partnership with Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar of Uppiness. Welcome to the show, Dahlia. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so Dahlia, I was immediately so connected when I saw your TED talk, your TED talk, I think that's how we first connected because it spoke on such a deep, beautiful level to what I feel so passionate about what I've always known, but sometimes it's always, it's not always articulated and you just articulated it so beautifully. Um, but before we even go there, I just wanted to let everyone know how we first met, but talk to us a little bit around your story, which is amazing when we start to think of you, where you started, um, but you start us wherever you would like on that time frame of your story and why you're so passionate about this work. Well, I guess, um, you know, we all have our pain and my pain turned into my purpose, but before I go into my pain, I also had a lot of amazing experience. So I'm, yes, originally from Israel, as you mentioned, and back in 98, I started my career with Procter & Gamble in Geneva, and I spent 17 years with uh, P&G, and I call those my years of flow, okay? I was totally, you know, P&G is well known for, you know, people first leadership, and it's all about take care of your people and the business takes care of itself, and I, I was very lucky in that sense to have leaders that believed in me sometimes more than I believed in myself, right? And my career just went from strength to strength. Um, 17 years in Geneva, then moved to Moscow, then moved to Singapore. And um, back in 2015, you know, uh, organizational change led to the fact they wanted me back in Geneva. I was at that time in Singapore. And we decided to part as friends, PNG and I, uh, great friends. And I decided to take a new role in a new company, another Fortune 500 company. And that's when I met the other extreme of a company that, you know, is a great company, okay? And that's what's interesting. You can have 
a beautiful culture as a company, you know, a great CEO, love the CMO, love the vision. They brought me in as, a, you know, CMO Asia in charge of 150 people. It seemed like a dream role. But a few months into the role, I realized I got a new boss and I realized we couldn't be more different. And that started kind of a, a saga, if you like, of three years um, working in a toxic environment. So we can talk more about it in a bit, but that toxic environment is what led me to do what I'm doing today, which is actually working with companies to bring more of what I've seen work and less of what I've seen kind of, you know, in the in the last three years. So yeah. that's kind of in a nutshell. Yeah, and I think what you, um, and, and it's amazing, like P&G is such a wonderful example of what's possible when you really make a people first organization. Yet, there are so many workplaces that still don't get this. And I think even some females, as they worked their way up in the organization, didn't feel like they could be who they truly are and show up as their authentic selves. And so talk to us a little bit. Um, I think people describe this in, in a lot of different ways, but bringing in the feminine and the masculine energy and because it's not one or the other, there's things that I like to describe it almost as the being and the doing, right? The being has some beautiful characteristics that it's almost like where you're coming from and then you're still taking action, but you're taking action from a very different place mm -hmm. when you're integrating both of those different energies. So talk to us a little bit more around what does that look like? So, you know, I ended up calling the book Dare to Lead Like a Girl as a homage to that Always Like a Girl campaign that I led for PNG, but really as a provocation. And, you know, it's a provocation for all leaders, women and men. It's even as much for men as it is for women, uh, because there's no such thing as a feminine brain or a masculine brain. We all have within us both masculine and feminine leadership traits. The issue is, and you know, here I build on work of Rasi Sota, who created the conscious capitalism. He with Nili Mabat kind of wrote a book actually that came back, came out almost the same time. And it was interesting, you know, the, the dynamic they described there. I mean, we have the positive feminine traits. So these are traits that socialization associated them with being feminine. Okay. Things like gathering right things like you know the teamwork the intuition creativity okay those are considered on those feminine scale then we have traits that again socialization considered masculine things like direction and logic uh, and those are as important so a good leader needs to be rotating between those positive feminine and positive masculine traits the issue is that the world has collapsed into what Raj Sisot and Nilima Bhatt call the wounded masculine, where it's power over people versus power with people, right? And that's where my kind of book and thesis is all about kind of shifting the pendulum to, you know, so all leaders, men as well as women, can dare to lead more, you know, from their feminine traits. And we're seeing, I mean, you mentioned, you touched on it. When I left that toxic environment, you know, I actually took a couple of years to study. I did my uh, master's in organizational psychology in INSEAD. I met Dr. Tal Ben-Shaha, who became, you know, my mentor. And with him, I studied positive psychology. And it was funny, when I studied positive psychology, I can tell you, literally, I realized that everything I intuitively believed about leadership was grounded in research, okay? My toxic bully boss used to call me Miss Kumbaya. He found me too positive. 
too good with my people, uh, etc. And I actually learned that being positive is great for business, you know, except if you're a lawyer, but that's a side, a side note. So anyway, I was studying for these, uh, you know, studying those two years. And I was really fascinated that, you know, we, what happened to me actually in those, you know, in that toxic environment was way too common in the business world. I mean, I was really spoiled in a way, 17 years in PMG. I thought that other company was the extreme. And I actually learned that, no, it's way, way too prevalent. You know, in fact, I'll just let you guess, do you know what percent of employees experience workplace bullying? Any guesses? It's going to be a lot higher than I want it to be. So (laughs) 40%. Well, yeah, 50, 50%. So one in two employees experience work-related bullying. Uh, 87% of employees are unengaged in the workplace, believing they work for companies that don't appreciate them as human beings. We're seeing one in four employees experience acute work-related anxiety. So we're seeing that, you know, our current models of leadership are just not working. And all of this was before COVID. So my talk, my keynote came out way before COVID back in 2019. Now bring COVID with all the stress, you know, the, um, the working from home, working hybrid now, okay, the stress of, you know, health, the stress of, uh, you know, um, work, etc. And we're seeing an unprecedented collapse, if you want, uh, a mental health crisis. We're seeing it manifest in the great resignation, right? We all know what the great resignation, I think, uh, is. We're seeing it in the silent resignation, which I find to be much worse. I mean, there's a good element to the silent resignation. I'm just writing an article on it. There's an, an a good element on that in the sense that the younger generation are saying, hey, boundaries, you know, work is important for me, but life is as well. And that's great. And I love that, you know, it's really important. But then the other element of the silent resignation is, you know, I'm just going to treat it as a job and tra- it's all transactional. And that's where I think we are, you know, we're going into a very dark place because, you know, we're spending so many hours at work. If we're not able to bring our heart and our art and our passion into what we're doing, then really what a waste of a life in a way. So for me, it's really about kind of realizing this reality. I think my my thesis was important back in 2019, but today it's even critical. A leader that's not investing in the mental health wellness of their employees should ask themselves whether they're leading. And the good news, and that's, you know, I'm a positive psychologist, so there's always a bright side. The bright side is, yes, this is, you know, a crisis. It is costing us. It's actually $7 trillion. I joke and say, you know, sometimes CEOs, when they ask me exactly what I do, I say, I teach happiness. They're like, oh, what flimsy (laughs) work is that? And I said, dude, is $7 trillion flimsy because that's the cost of stress-related disease, absenteeism. So we know we have this crisis. We know it's going straight to the bottom line. But the good news is that we know we can change it. We can teach ourselves and our employees to find resilience enjoy we can help them understand their strengths link their strengths you know their personal purpose to the company purpose we know we can teach leaders to be more empathetic and more people-centered so basically that's what I do I help companies you know bring more purpose and joy to the workplace and 
there's never been a more urgent time than today. It's, it's, it's so important. And like you said, and I'm also someone who always sees the class, the glass, um, half full and always that optimism, but it isn't something it's, it's something that can be built. It's not that you have this set point and it's just, you can't build the muscle. We can all build the muscle, but it's like you said, it it's imperative. It has to be a priority. It has to be something where organizations really take a step back and ask themselves, what does that look like? How do we support this kind of transformation? And I think, um, and I'm curious when you talk about the CEO, because I've heard this too, and I, I use different words to help them see and understand how important this is and bring in the science and the data, um, because they're so numbers driven yet. Ultimately, if we can get them to drop down in their heart, we all want this, like take the numbers out of it, right. As humans, we all want to be able to connect to ourselves and connect to others. And I find it's, it's creating an environment that's encouraging and helping each individual do that. But I think it also is important that all of those leaders that are on board with this work, they have to go through this work as well, right? They have to understand what does this look like to be able to make these changes. And, and, you know, you mentioned the glass half full, I would mention, you know, I like to share that positive psychology is not just seeing the glass half full. But realizing there's a whole jug out there yes. and of resources that we could be filling our own uh, glass, right? And that's really, it's not about being happy, happy all the time. It's about realizing the resources, the resources of people. I mean, I call it these resources. I call them in my book, my 5P, okay, coming from marketing. It's easy to remember. I don't like to say I invented the model because psychologists, philosophers for generations have been talking about the mind-body connection. But yeah, it is important to realize that it is a holistic effort. Sometimes I come to companies and I say, talk about well-being or happiness and they're like, oh, we teach yoga. You know, I laugh. I say, I'm a yoga teacher, right? I'm a big believer in yoga, but it's not just one element. So we need to maybe not be scoring a hundred in each one of those dimensions, but we need to be constantly building, you know, our and our people resources in these kind of holistic elements. And I'll just share very briefly. I mean, the five P and that's what my book and my, 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 um, my workshop focus on. So the first is really to understand our purpose. Okay. That's the first P. The purpose is really being able to understand our strengths. And we all know the science on strengths-based leadership, right? Only 30, despite knowing, okay, so those who operate from strengths have two times the more likelihood to succeed, okay? Strengths are important. The data came out back in 99, I think it was, right? With Clifton, strengths, et cetera. And still today, only 30% of employees say they know their strengths. Right. And only 17% of employees say they use it every day. What a waste of human potential, right? So the first thing, and, you know, I spend, that's probably my favorite workshop. I do a really robust find your purpose workshop. We do it through peer coaching. We go really deep looking at our strengths, our life stories, understanding what am I about? What are my passions? And how can I bring it into what I do? Because that's what made a difference for me in PNG very early on. And I can tell you the stories of how later, but very early on, I realized what my purpose was and I was able to live my purpose every single day. And so it didn't matter how many hours I was working because I was on fire. So this is what leaders don't, I mean, I just finished a workshop for Google. We worked on personal purpose, team purpose, 
company purpose and how do you link your personal purpose to your team purpose? And I can tell you the level of energy that comes out when you kind of realize that. And, you know, I again, I have CEOs tell me, oh, Dalia, you'll do fine your purpose. Everyone will leave and live in the Himalayas. And I'm like, you know, if you have a few that that's their purpose, let them go. For most of us, it isn't. And I share there's so many crazy stories when people tell me, oh, I need to leave because this is my purpose, green energy. And I'm like, did you have a discussion with your line manager? She's like, no, I'm a lawyer in Danone. You know, what does this have to do? I need to leave. I'm like, before you leave, do me a favor. Have a chat with your line manager. She calls me the next day, all excited. Dalia, you won't believe it. I shared my new purpose with my line manager. And she told me, she was all excited. She said the leadership team just decided on a huge green energy project and they were looking for a leader. And that's been four years that she's leading this project. So that's, that's you know, that's magic when we manage to connect personal purpose to team purpose to company purpose. So that's the first B, okay? And that's my first workshop that I do with companies. The second P is really around perseverance. Now, perseverance and perspective is all the mental elements. It's the growth mindset. It's the learning to fail, right? Failing forward. It's really all these elements that, you know, and I worked many years in Asia and around the world we see, and this is actually is a difference between uh, women and men. Men are scared to fail. You know, they, they don't look to, don't like to seem weak. So they don't ask for advice. I mean, it's also proven that women ask for advice more often. So it seems like they're less decisive, but they are more, you know, convergent in, in terms of their thinking. So this is about encouraging all employees to realize the importance of asking for help, the importance of having a growth mindset. You know, feedback is an opportunity for growth. And, you know, learn to fail or fail to learn, right? So this is kind of where we go deep into those elements. And I think, you know, leaders, we know that, right? The number one driver of high-performing teams is psychological safety. And the number one driver of psychological safety is leaders admitting mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's another really important dimension of what does it mean to lead like a, lead like a girl or lead from the heart. It's really being able to connect to those kind of uh, failure elements. So that's the second P. Yeah. The third P, you know, it's an interesting one. I call it power up. Mm -hmm. And we know everyone's about managing time, right? But we know it's not about managing time. It's all about managing our energy. And mm -hmm. we're just about to kind of finish the year. When this will come out, it will be the beginning of next year. And I think we've seen, I mean, part of the crash is a burnout and part of that burnout is that we're always on right yes. we we know all of this when I do this module I usually do it as a walk-in meeting most of the science is known we know the science of sleep we know the science of you know the importance of of gut health we know the importance of you know um, movement all of these fall into this physical wellness but people don't do it they we don't realize that these phones has made us so always unconnected and it's so critical to sharpen the saw, right? Yeah, you know, you remember the story yes, from uh, yes. seven, right? Yes. If you don't take time to literally sharpen your saw, you know, to relax, you're not productive. And Boston Group Consulting did this amazing research where they actually forced employees to take half a day off a week mm. 
and they found the 74% boost in productivity, right? So, so that's all about this power up. So that's the third P. The fourth P is the most important one, okay? And that is all about people mm -hmm. and relationship because we know from research that the number one driver of happiness is the quality of our relationship. And that's true also for the workplace. Uh, you know, Gallup did research and they ca call it the Q12 because question number 12 was, I mean, there were things about how connected are you to the mission and how clear are you on your goals, all of the important stuff, right? But question number 12 was, do you have a best friend at work? Right. And CEOs were like, what is this stupid question? We're not a, <laughs> right? We're not a football. So they took it out. And every time they saw, I mean, the numbers got, basically that was the number one driver of happiness in the workplace. And the number two was, do you have friends at work? Right? Mm -hmm. So people, people, people. And I think here you mentioned earlier, yeah, we know people are important. I can tell you, I mean, that bully boss that I worked with told me I don't care about people. It's transactional, yeah. right? And we have an issue there because there's no ROI without people. I call it return on interaction, not return on investment, because that's what matters. That's what drives the businesses, right? So so people, and we can talk more about that. That's the fourth P. And then the fifth P that, again, is not as kind of talked about is this notion of positivity. This notion, I call it positivity, but as men mentioned, it's not being happy, happy all the time. It's really about, I call it emotional bravery, yeah. you know, being tuned to our emotions, but also bringing them into the workplace. So important, right? Because if we're not, either we become sick because we're, you know, suppressing our emotions yeah. or we become, you know, toxic ourselves, right? With passive aggressiveness, it will come out at that stage, at some stage. So knowing to identify your emotion, talk about your emotions in a way that is conducive to our relationship, that builds a relationship is really, really important. So that's kind of my, on my personal mm. research is me search, right? But also what I've seen with companies and all those five Ps can be taught. So I'm actually quite optimistic in the way that if we properly invest in wellness at work training and it's a year-long program and yes it takes resources but the level of energy that you get as a result and that results in productivity and all the other good stuff because everything changes when our brain is in a positive mindset so that's Absolutely. what I'm talking about, as you can see. <laughs> yeah. And I think that what people start to realize is all of these limiting beliefs that kind of have also been holding them back. So for example, even the last one, we start to think about feelings and permission to feel there's so many people where they never got, no one pulled them aside in school and said, this is what it looks like to be with your feelings and process your feelings and share your feelings. And there was a lot of um, conditioning, especially for men, but women as well around that that is weak to do that. So they learn for many years. And so now to be able to, it's building a new muscle. Um, I love so many of the things that you talked there. I think the well-being piece as well, it's there's yes, the organization, and then sometimes it's around asking for things when it comes to boundaries and making sure you have more resources. 
yet I, and I talk about this one a lot. I really feel like it's, it's multifaceted and it's, it goes both ways because yes, sometimes it's the organization and they're, they need to be doing things to make sure there's more resources and that they're um, being realistic with demands and how much they're expecting from their people. But I've seen many times where it's not the organization that's putting those expectations on the individual. It's the individual that's putting that pressure on themselves from, and that's where it gets so, so interesting. And in, in all of the work I get to do with leaders on the coaching side, it's them recognizing some patterns that are working against them where they're finding their worth from productivity. And so to slow down, I can even say to this day, my husband will sometimes see me sitting there for like an hour and a half, just He's like, what, what are you doing? Like, I I'm just, I'm being, I'm being, I'm sitting here. I don't need to do anything. I'm just yeah. being in stillness. It is very triggering to him. Like he it's sees that cool. and then immediately he's like, I, I don't understand. <laughs> like, go I can do tell you, okay. So I'm a doer. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I used to be a competitive gymnast. I was always on the go. I'm also hyperactive. I just yeah. discovered, yeah. I always say, and everyone's like, what is the surprise in that, right? <laughs> I was very focused because I did so much gymnastics. I was also very studious, etc. But I was always a doer. And it's only when I decided to pivot my career that I said, oh my God, I'm, I'm just on a constant buzz. You know, I'm not able to think properly. And yet when I reflect back all my best ideas, okay, I can track them down. I remember in Russia feeding my daughter at 4 a.m., right? When you're just sitting there kind of, you know, in this 4 a.m. half asleep, yeah. you know, coming up with the idea, we called it at the time, be the star you are, that later led to work with it in India, that later, later led to the always like a girl. But this whole, you know, our brains do not operate in an always on environment. We need to have that downtime. We need to be able to say, you know, nature, just, just go out, the, you're looking for productivity that's how you gain productivity you don't gain it by constantly you know uh, hatching that old saw without taking the time so I think these are elements that are so important and yeah I do agree oh, often it's us and you know even during the COVID and even when we're working from home what's limiting us now right, right? you know we can you know take a call while walking I'm a huge fan 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 of walking meetings right if I don't need an excel for a meeting I'm just like you know or if it's a get to know meeting or how we doing meeting I just do it you know while walking in nature and it's just you know my mind is completely more focused everything works so yes. so much better so it's these little things I mean all of it I love that how theoretically simple it all is okay but it takes a shift, a mind mind shift. It takes, you know, education. It takes habit change. And we know how hard it is to change habits, but it also the expectations of leaders to organization. And I can tell you what was so great for me in PNG. PNG was voted the best company for women for like 10 years. The 10 years that I was there, I don't know where, where it ranks today, but I remember, you know, my boss at 6 p.m., okay, saying, out of here now. I don't yeah. want to see anyone. Go. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, if I had work to do, I would secretly do it at home. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't dare send in anything. Yes. Okay. I would just send because that was the expectations. 
the expectation was life is important get out of here and go do it and and you know i think about it today with the that we constantly have and i think you know for me as a young leader and a an achiever right um you know and always on myself having that kind of push was amazing and then later on when i became a senior leader you know, I was doing, I would do expectation alignment with my manager and I would say, hey, I'm a little bit of a workaholic, so help me, right? And they would, and that was great. So, and and later on, I, I was better in managing myself, right? And I always say, you know, and I got the perspective. Once kids came, I always say, you want work-life balance? Have right. kids. It right. gives you perspective, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so important. And I think what you said there was really important. It's simple, but it's not necessarily easy, right? It's like, this is what it looks like. I'm also a doer by just to put it out there. My default is to be a doer. Yet once I started to build this muscle and I saw, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much I was missing this. And then also sometimes people are also keeping themselves busy because when they slow down then all of a sudden they have to reflect on things. They have to ask themselves questions. They have to be accountable to themselves and they're uncomfortable with doing that. So the, the, sometimes the busyness can be a protective layer, just like we have different forms of numbing, right? It's not numbing's not just shopping therapy or drinking or whatever it may be. Sometimes it's working, right? Because it's, um, but I think it's, is recognizing why, why it's so valuable to do this. And I, I love what you were talking about with PNG there, because I think it goes to the, how important it is that you can't just say, oh no, we really believe in work-life integration in our company, your behaviors and the modeling really has to support that that's true. And guess what, when it is, it does like then, I, and I've had this, even when I've worked with leaders and, and they say, no, I'm really, I'm really cool. Like I want my team to unplug in the evenings and unplug on vacation. And then I'll say, well, I hear, I know that you believe that. And I know that's your intention, but every single time you keep going on vacation and emailing them throughout your vacation and emailing them the evenings, you're giving very mixed messages. I remember the CEO for PNG. Okay. Uh, John Pepper, he actually wrote a record in the book. I reached out to him. And he was so touched. But I remember as a very young associate brand manager, okay, six months in the company, it was just before Christmas, he emailed us all, he said, I'm going on holiday, okay, I'm not going to take any technology with me, I'm only taking my books, and I won't be reachable, but I have an amazing team that I trust to, you know, solve any challenges. And I wish you all, uh, and then at the bottom, he said, and if the CEO can do it, so can you. Go sharpen your saw. And that's stuck in my brain so much. You know, if the CEO can, right? So can you. And even more, if you're a leader, you have such a responsibility, okay? Such a responsibility in role modeling that's, you know, that behavior. So I think that's really important. You know, people are watching you. So do whatever you need. Leave the office. That's why I said I would leave the office secretly. I would write something, send it only the next morning, right? If I needed to offload it off my brain, but you know, that's kind of, I think really, really important for us. Yeah. And there is, like you said, there are tools and techniques you can do that. So you can still be getting it ready so that the next day, because you might have 
all day meetings. And that could be a whole other podcast on how many times we're having meetings when we don't need to have meetings and why being in meetings for the whole day and then trying to be able to do your job and be able to do all the action items from those meetings. It's, it's uh, that's cultural as well. <laughs> I'll tell you, that's why I love the working from home. Honestly, when I became a young mom and moved to Moscow, Moscow was horrible with commute. Sometimes in winter, it was like three hours one way. So I remember I went to my boss, okay, Daniela Riccardi, a woman. And I told her, listen, I would love if I could have one day working from home. And that was so not common at the time. And her answer was, Dalia, I don't care if you work from the moon as long as the work is done. And she said, well, I actually would love if you would, you know, test it for us and write about your experience. And I wrote a whole art. And I remember I was so grateful that those days were the most productive I ever had. Why? My team, I wasn't there. So they solved problems, you know, better, right? Because I I wasn't just across to ask everything. And I had this reflection time. That was my reading day. That was my external inspiration day. And yes, I was from home. So when my kids came home at three, I would take my lunch break there. I put it on, hey, I'm going for my lunch break. So people would know. And that was amazing. And then they went back for their break or they, you know, I had a nanny taking care of them because that's really important if you're working from home, especially with young kids. But that I loved it. And I actually ended up working from home 15 years every Friday. And that was my number one coping strategy as a working parent. So I'm super happy about this trend coming back, but it's so important that we use it, you know, smartly that yes. from a leader perspective, we trust our employees. Yes. And especially from an employee perspective, we are, you know, we're really adamant about letting know where we are. And yes, if I want to do yoga midday, that's okay. I have an hour usually to take a break. That's my lunch break. That's my choice. But I let people know. So I think that's, you know, I'm hoping that that will help people kind of get into this being and relaxing a little bit and the importance of reflection, because reflection is really important for leadership. A hundred percent. I talk about that one all the time. I think if you're going 24 seven too, and you don't build in that time for the reflection, it's not going to happen because it's so many other things that can pull your attention. Um, so Dahlia, I would love for, there's going to be people listening to this podcast and I'd love for you to give them some thoughts from both sides. So an individual is hearing this and they're saying, okay, I want to be able to dare to lead more like a girl. I want to dare to lead like that. And like we talked about, this is for men and women around really embracing the five P's that you talked about. What are some steps that they could take? from after this, hearing this conversation. And then let's also talk about from an organization's perspective, what steps can they take? So that's kind of my little cheat sheet. Um, I'll give you a few from each one of those P's. I mean, each one is usually a two and a half hour workshop, but just a few that I think are the most critical. So the first really, sorry, just a second. (coughs) So the first is your strength. If you're in those 70% that don't know your strengths, there's so many tools out there. Um, you know, the, the, there's a uh, Clifton Strength Finder, there's a free uh, VIA Strengths, there's asking your management, there's asking your best friends. Make sure you understand what your strengths are and then ask yourself, in when do I bring my strengths to work 
In what way can I bring my strengths? Literally create a project list around your strengths. And when you're having your next meeting with your line manager, make sure, right? Because our tendency, our brain is wired for negativity. So we're, we have a tendency to focus on what do I need to improve? And fixing a weakness is just avoiding failure. It's our strengths that make us fly, right? So I really want to encourage people whether you're a leader or an employee, spend at least 50% of your next, you know, January is where we do goal setting and planning. Spend 50%. These are my strengths. These are some projects that I would love to do that better bring, you know, bring my strengths to work. So that would be, and, you know, Sandra Lubomirsky did research on all the PPIs, positive psychology intervention that I will share. They were all proven, proven to reduce anxiety. Strengths is probably one of the, most important ones. So that would be the first one that I would recommend. When we talk about uh, perseverance, you know, I highly recommend reading the book Mindset, thinking about growth mindset, really understand, you know, embracing failure. And I know it's easier said than done, but my tip here, okay, and I love to to uh, leave you with a meta metaphor uh, against this tip, is I call it go behind the waterfall. Too often, we're in the waterfall with our emotion. We get feedback. We have an amygdala hijack, okay? And we're, you know, in stress, someone's killing us, right? We, Our brain takes a psychological risk, as same as a bear is about to attack us. So we're in the waterfall. We're not really listening to the feedback. We're just obsessed with our emotions around it. Walking behind the waterfall, okay, is really... This is still happening. You know, I have anger. I have frustration. I feel it's unfair, but I'm observing it from the outside. And just by practicing that little, when I'm, so I'm also very emotional, right? I carry my heart on my sleeve. And when I feel I'm taking things personally, I'm like, ooh, go behind the waterfall. Try and listen to what's being said and not the how. Remember, and perspective is all about that. Uh, you know, the the whole three E theory, okay, of, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. Three E says there's an event and there's an emotion, okay? We think we're reacting emotionally to the event. In reality, there's something in the middle called evaluation. That's the middle E. We're not reacting to the event. We are at, reacting to our evaluation of that event. So when you're triggered, ask yourself, is my evaluation correct? Maybe it has nothing to do about me and my boss is in a bad mood, so I'll let him be, okay? So really these things, step behind the waterfall, you know, adopt the growth mindset, meaning, you know, how can I learn from what is being said without taking in the how it's being said, okay? So that would be my second tip. The third really for power up, and we spoke about it, you know, take the time, I would suggest at least one walking meeting a day, okay? Or at least an hour. You know, we know sitting is the new smoking. There's so much research about it. Take an hour to do something different. And if you could do it while, you know, the day and then do sports later, that's even better. So make sure you you really focus on energy. The issue is not stress. Stress is actually really good for us. And I keep on telling my kids before exams, stress makes you focus, improves your cognition. It's amazing stress. I remember before speaking on TED, I was all shaking. And then I went on and I was like sharp and focused. I was shocked how focused I was, 
right? So stress is good for us. Remember that. The issue is the lack of recovery. This always on element. So make sure you stop that always on. You recover. You listen to your body. You sleep eight hours. You do your sports. That's the secret to productivity. Okay. So that's kind of the tip on the third. The fourth people. Okay. And this is so critical. Make a list of the five people at work that lift your mood. Okay. Make sure you connect with them. Okay. Without an agenda, at least once a week, take them out to coffee, right? Get to know them in general, connect with everyone on your team without an agenda. It's called the building the emotional bank account, right? Who are you? Get to know the people around you as human being. It is so amazing. We are human being. We need this relationships. So spend time on that. That would be kind of my my fourth. And of course, the, the important people in your life, right? Because no one on their deathbed said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't spend more time in the office. So really, you know, it's it, it, make a date. A date. I do a date with my husband. I do a date with each one of my kids for one-on-one time. And of course, we have dates with parents, dates. So make yourself, you know, if you're a task-oriented person, like we all have become, Put it in your schedule, okay? These five important peoples on my life and when I'm going to spend time with them, et cetera. So that's the people. And then on the positivity, and this is all the emotional kind of element, you know, we talked about the going behind the waterfall. That's also about emotional regulation. But one that I'm really passionate about, you know, emotional regulation is about giving ourselves the permission to be human, okay? So if you're in a bad mood, Take some space. Mm-hmm. Say, I'm sorry you triggered me. Can we continue tomorrow? And then make sure you step back. I call it center. Okay, so claim your emotion. Oh, I have this emotion. Okay, that means you're triggered. It's good. Understand why you're triggered. It means it's important for you. The N stands for name the emotion. We all know our amygdala and our frontal cortex operate as a seesaw. When one is aroused, the other one is depressed. Naming actually forces the frontal cortex to be active, relaxing, you know, the amygdala where our emotions are stored. And we know it as parents, right? When we say to our kids, oh, I understand you're frustrated. Suddenly the kids is like, oh, I'm frustrated. Calms down. So in that sense, name your emotion, tame your emotion. That's kind of taking the poison out. That's going behind the waterfall. Okay. Reframe, understand, put yourself in the other's shoes. What is going on here? Okay, what is the what in the what is being said is is right. Okay, and only then act versus react. So that's kind of uh, the element. And when we choose to kind of deal with our emotions, I mean, there's this whole theory of upward spiral of positivity. Okay, so if we're in a downward spiral, accepting our emotions are key. Okay, sometimes the only way out is through. So sitting through them. But then how can we insert more positive emotion? And it's not forced. It's not, you know, this toxic uh, positivity. It's really asking myself in this madness and sadness, what am I grateful for? Mm. What is still working in my life? Hope, what, you know, will it matter in a year? How can I deal with it? And I'll just share two notions. One is gratitude. So you remember I shared research from Sonia talks about strengths. The other 
really important one is the notion of gratitude. I have in my, on the mirror, and this is a tip I got years ago, and I recommend everyone on my team. I have everyone I speak to. I have a little sticker that just says gratitude on the mirror. Yeah. You're supposed to spend three minutes brushing your teeth. Yeah. That's the time I spend thinking about what am I grateful? Mm. What worked yesterday? Mm -hmm. Right. And then I actually share that gratitude. Who am I grateful for? Let me share an SMS saying thank you. So my morning starts with someone getting, oh, thank you so much for doing that yesterday. Right. Just think about, you know, your day starting with the blast and their day starting with the blast. And, you know, it creates such an amazing uh, uh, feeling. So that's the, the gratitude is one. And the second, and I'll leave us with that, mm. is a notion that we all have pain. Surprise. Mm. We all have fears. Okay. You know, the, the beautiful notion is post-traumatic growth. Everyone heard of post-traumatic stress disorder when I worked three years with a bully boss I had post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. it took me a year to realize that okay and I decided to study it and I spent a lot of time with myself and I came across this concept of post-traumatic growth how do you grow it's not about resilience it's not about coming back to mm -hmm. where you are before mm -hmm. but actually you can grow mm -hmm. from your darkest moments and that's what I chose to do, to turn my pain into purpose, right? And to come back into companies and work with them on understanding what creates pain in the organization and how can we bring about more of that purpose, optimism, joy. So those were just a few of my tips. Amazing, amazing. And so, so helpful, everything that you shared there, Dahlia. And as we start to leave and end today's session, if you were going to leave some words of advice for an organization, um, what, what would be those words of advice that you would like to leave for them? Yeah, invest in well-being in all aspects. Don't outsource soul. I think that's a really important one. I hear too many CEOs say, oh, I'm not good with people. That's why I have an HR manager. We know that people want their managers to care for them, not someone someone in HR. Okay, so don't outsource soul, meaning you, you need to teach each of your employees, you know, to be a good people manager. And I, I want to finish with this because it's really fascinating for me because I reflect back in PNG, what, I didn't have assholes in PNG? Yeah, there were, but the culture was so. And then I realized we have a talent review like any other company. But in the talent review, you would get two scores, one on building the business, okay, meeting your OKR, KPIs, et cetera, yes. and one on building the organization. Yes. How good are you as you as a coach? As a pe and that score, you receive from your people for the only per person that can determine if you're a good leader is your people, okay? And if you weren't top rated in both elements, you would not get promoted, Yes. It's as simple as that. Yes. And that's kind of what I'm saying. It's so simple. Organization, put it as a priority to the companies because this is your ROI. There is no ROI without people. Love. This is a, that's a perfect place. And I talk all the time about even for some it's values, having it so that they're bonus at the end to also make sure not just around business outcomes, but you're living and breathing the values, which is exactly what you're saying by getting yeah. the feedback. Thank you so much, Dahlia. So much wisdom. Uh, where can people learn more about you? And what do you have going on for you as you go into 2023? What's what's on your plate? 
Uh, so I just launched the book in June. Uh, it's been really exciting. So I'm actually getting a lot of CEOs. I mean, it's crazy. I'm uh, getting a lot of women call me, a lot of men. I got a guy call me to say, hey, I watched your TED Talk. I read your book. I realize I'm an asshole. What do I do? Uh, <laughs> so and a lot of them are actually buying uh, the book as a women's day as christmas gift so i love it you know i think i put my heart and soul into the book it's a very practical you know it's all the storytelling but also the science and the practical tips including examples of an expectation alignment document or anything i thought could help so you know um how you can uh, feel free to go on the website it's daliafeldheim.com i have all the data about my leadership development programs you know, all the book, the, the the praise or the feedback for it. If you wanted to, you know, get it for your team, that's amazing. I am coming to the US for those that are New York based. I'm doing book signing in Barnes and Nobles on the 24th of January. Super excited about that. And then I'm coming again for Women's Day. And um, yeah, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to humanize the workplace. I'm on a mission to work with leaders because it is, you know, I called it dare to lead like a girl. It does take courage and courage is not the absence of fear. We all have fears. It's about connecting to our superpowers and going ahead anyway. And I'll just end by words from Paul Polman, who used to be the CEO of Unilever and wrote one of the praise for the book. And he told me, Dalia, I think courage is probably the most misunderstood word. People think that it's about making decisions that others don't make. Well, in fact, the word courage comes from the French word cœur, which means heart, because the really courageous leaders lead from the heart. So I'll end with that. So beautiful. And for everyone listening, you can see why I love Dahlia so much, because we speak the same language. We're both all about humanizing the workplace, which, which is why this podcast is about humanizing work. And uh, please check out, I will have in the show notes, everything I highly recommend. I have read the book. I, have, I will have a link to the TED talk as well. And uh, anyone else who wants to get in touch with me as well, I'm passionate about this work too. So helping leaders to do this transformation from the inside out. Thank you so much for being here, Dahlia. Thank you. Let us all have an amazing 2023. Absolutely. And for wherever you are in the world, we are saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sending tons of love. Bye-bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.